Have you ever been on the business end of a meltdown in your SPED classroom? Like, what on earth am I supposed to do here? Well, I've got the answers for you. Welcome to The Noodle Nook, a podcast for teachers where we break down the best tips, tricks, and tools to help educators teaching students with complex access needs and significant disabilities, including autism. I'm Io, your host, and I help teachers create the classroom of their dreams with practical strategies and actionable steps that won't leave you feeling overwhelmed. In this episode, we're talking about eight great prevention tips to help you avoid dealing with autism meltdowns in your classroom. So let's go ahead and get started. First off, we before we dive in too deep here, I just want to point this out that when a student with autism has a meltdown in the classroom, it's not a temper tantrum. And being that it's not a temper tantrum, sometimes we have to approach it just a little bit differently. For students who have autism, who are having a meltdown, sometimes it can be caused by things like overwhelming sensory input or anxiety or frustration. Um, And it's not always about attention and control, which is what we see sometimes with temper tantrums in neurotypical students or neurotypical children. So for students who are on the spectrum, it really comes down to having to process a situation in light of their disability. And that can make a meltdown overwhelming as a teacher, <laughs> right? Because we're having to deal with a student who who's having a meltdown, maybe not because of something that they can overtly tell you about or can feel like they can control, right? It's triggered by something very specific and it might not be what you think it is. So when it comes down to getting started with dealing with meltdowns, the very first step is to understand what an autism meltdown looks like in your classroom and in your students, and what is triggering that meltdown. Now, there is a full article to share this information with you over on the Noodle Nook blog. If you head over that way and you search for the term meltdown, you will find the article, and that will give you just some more basic information about what a meltdown looks like and what triggers meltdowns in students with autism. What we are going to talk about today are the prevention strategies that you can use inside of your classroom to hopefully keep the meltdowns from happening in the first place, right? You always think about these action movies where the hero has to defuse this bomb before it goes off and the tension is so high in the classroom. And as a teacher, tension is always kind of high, right? But what we wanna do is we wanna deal with the negative situation before it happens. We wanna keep it from happening in the first place, which is why prevention strategies are so important, especially when you're dealing with students with autism and especially when you are having meltdowns in your classroom that are disrupting your normal flow of the day and quite possibly causing injury to you, your team, the student, or other students in your classroom. So clearly, prevention strategies are the go-to for dealing with any kind of behavior. But let's talk about which strategies are most effective for you to implement if you are dealing with meltdown behaviors in the classroom. We are going to cover eight strategies, and each of these plays an important part in helping deal with behaviors. And I'm going to tell you right now that if you are doing some of these consistently, it will help. If you are doing all of these consistently, you are the bomb. So let's go ahead and get started covering these strategies. Number one is making sure that you have created a structured and predictable learning environment with consistent routines and clearly communicated expectations. That was a mouthful. But what you should hear is that 
you have structure in your classroom. Students know what's coming and they can anticipate transitions and changes and their schedule. You have consistent routines that help a student stay structured and keep the environment predictable and that you are clear about communicating all of those things. Now, if you were doing that consistently, you're probably dealing with like, I don't even know, half of all the behaviors that are happening in your classroom. Let's move on to number two here though. Number two is posting a daily schedule and referencing it throughout the day. Listen, our students in special education and really most people are kind of schedule dependent, right? I wanna know when things are happening in my day, you wanna know when things are happening in your day. So by posting a daily schedule for students, they can anticipate what is happening in their day and have less of a reaction or a meltdown when there are transitions or changes that happen. So definitely have a posted daily schedule in your classroom. Number three is to make sure that you are using visual aids, and that includes things like schedules, pictures, social stories, communication icons, all of the above. And we use those so that our student can understand our expectations, what they're supposed to be doing, and better anticipate and deal with transitions, right? So we wanna include as many visual aids and visual supports as possible. That also helps us to lower the auditory load inside of our classroom. Now, there are quite a few meltdowns that happen that are related to sensory overload. So if a student is right on the edge getting ready to have a meltdown and you come in with all kinds of auditory input and all kinds of language, you can actually be contributing to the problem. So you definitely wanna have visual aids on hand in your classroom to support students throughout the day. Number four is sensory tools and accommodations. Now remember, no two people have the same sensory diet needs, right? People have different sensory tolerances and, and especially for students with autism, you need to know if you're dealing with someone who likes sensory input or who is avoiding sensory input because those are two very different approaches, right? So if you have somebody who is desiring sensory input, you might wanna have some fidget toys. You might have adaptive seated, adapted seating in your classroom. Um, so of all the tools that a student would need in order to get some more sensory stimulation. On the other hand, if you have a student who is trying to avoid sensory input, you might wanna designate a quiet space inside of your classroom where they can access noise canceling headphones. You might provide them with sunglasses or other ways to minimize the input visually as well while they're in that designated quiet space. What you're trying to do here is trying to dampen the amount of sensory input for that student so that you can avoid the meltdown in the first place. So you really need to know what tools your student needs. The fifth thing is that you should be using positive reinforcement, including praise and rewards to promote your student to do the right thing. As we are working through transitions, as we are working through academics, as we're working through those things that typically trigger a student into a meltdown, we want to use positive reinforcement to divert them away from the meltdown and direct them towards the positive and acceptable, socially acceptable way to deal with whatever they're dealing with. So really think about how you're going to use positive reinforcement and how you're going to incorporate a student's interests and preferences into that positive reinforcement, right? If you have a student who doesn't like sensory input, don't reinforce them with a hug. You might stay away from high fives. So you really need to know your student to provide the right positive reinforcement. All right, number six here is to develop a strong relationship with the student. You hear this over and over when it comes to teaching. Relationships matter. Relationships matter so much. 
And when we're dealing with students with autism, sometimes because of the extent of their disability or the complexity of their needs, sometimes we think that they're not building a relationship with us. Now, they might not be building a relationship with us the way we think a relationship should be built, but they are building relationships with the people and things around them. So we wanna make sure that the one that we are establishing with our students are based on trust and respect, and that we are honoring their attempts at communication and going out of our way to make sure that we're communicating with them in a way that is effective and responsive to their needs. All right, number seven is identifying and addressing the potential triggers, right? If we know what the triggers are going to be, maybe we can stop them from happening. If a student is triggered by sensory overload, maybe we can lower the sensory input in a classroom periodically throughout the day or divert our student to a calm down corner. If our student is dealing with a lot of anxiety, maybe we can go out of our way to use social stories and teach calming strategies so that the student can feel less anxious. Or if a student is having difficulty with communication, can we target communication skills using assistive technology devices or the like in order to improve that child's ability to communicate with others? And even with transitions, how can we incorporate the schedule and visuals so that a student can transition a little bit more easily and without that trigger, without that meltdown? So think about what the triggers are and how you can address them. And finally, number eight, is to proactively teach emotional regulation and coping skills. And these are things that you teach before the meltdown happens. Like in the middle of a meltdown, that is not the time to come running up to a student with a visual that tells them to breathe deeply. It's not gonna work. You need to have taught that coping strategy while the student was calm and able to learn, which means that we should be teaching these proactively to our students so that we can avoid the meltdown in the first place. Or if a meltdown is happening, we have the ability to come in and help our students cope through and bring down that meltdown moment so that they can resolve that and return to the classroom and return to work. So teach things like deep breathing, like problem solving techniques, like communication, as a way to proactively be teaching emotional regulation and those coping skills. Now I can tell you firsthand (laughs) that when you are in the midst of a meltdown, it is not fun. But I can also tell you that if you implement one, two, three, eight of these eight strategies that are proactive in your classroom, you will minimize the number and the intensity of meltdowns that are happening in your room. So just like all things, have a plan in place so that you know and you are reminded of exactly what you need to do when you see things coming. Because sometimes, you know, you see the meltdown coming. That could be things like a contingency map to sit down and talk to the student beforehand and try to redirect them. It could be using a calm down corner or a quiet space. It could be with visual supports that activate the student's coping mechanisms so that they can go ahead and bring themselves down out of this temper tantrum-like meltdown. The thing that you have to remember is that sitting back and waiting for it and then dealing with it afterwards is like the worst thing you can do. So the more proactive and preventative strategies that you put in place, the better things will be for you in your classroom and for your team. Now you can see from this list of proactive strategies that most of them are just best practices when you're working with students who have disabilities. Moreover, they really are the backbone for good classroom management in any classroom, including those with neurotypical students. 
But here's where we fall down as teachers. We don't use these evidence-based practices and we're not consistent with them either. In other words, we know the things, but we don't do the things. And if we do do the things, we don't do them on the regular. And that is definitely going to lead to failure. So that means if you hear nothing else from this podcast, hear this, do the things and be consistent with it. Just as a reminder here, if you are find that you are really struggling and need something extra to make all of this doable, then head over to noodlenook.net and search for Meltdown. You will find the full post on 15 tips for dealing with an autism meltdown in the classroom. We just covered eight. There are seven more. And if you are looking for the easiest way to supercharge your teaching game and tame those unruly behaviors, then check out the behavior toolkit at noodlenook.net slash 3TSC. That's 3TSC. It's packed with just the right visual resources you need, plus all the guides to help you and your team implement them consistently. Believe me, you are going to love it. Thanks for tuning into The Noodle Nook, a podcast for teachers just like you, and we need all the great teachers we can get. So this is Io here reminding you to stay strong and teach on.